Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, whatever it may be, they'll save you money. Maybe it's bundles to save you money. All at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Great to have you with us today. All right, so let's start with the uh, a life in a small world. And then we'll get to John Thompson here in a moment. So I went up to uh, Penfield, New York, just east of Rochester, because that's where my son lives, and my grandson, Ryan, his fourth birthday is today. So we went up there over the weekend to deliver presents and play baseball and all sorts of stuff. All right. So in the course of it, I'm in the backyard with my son. We're playing baseball with my grandson. And he says, hey, by the way, my neighbor's is the biggest Penn State fan. I said, really? Well, the neighbor's over there cutting a lawn. He said, he really would like to meet you. I said, okay, sure. You know, so he says, "Um, uh, you know, hi, I'm Jeff Wagner. I said, hi, I'm Matt Catrillo. No, wrong answer. (laughs) Flattering, but no. So, the name is Jeff Wagner. And of course, super guy. In the course of the conversation, he's telling me how he gets to maybe one or two Penn State football games a year. And that he'll use his aunt and uncle's tickets and his grandparents, I think his grandmother, they've had tickets. They sit in WJ. I said, great. I said, where are they from? Lewisburg. Wow. How about that? That's amazing. Lewisburg. So, yes, Jeff Wagner, whose aunt, uncle, I think I think it's grandmother, live in Lewisburg. So if he mentions, hey, by the way, I met the guy that announces the Penn State games, you could say, yeah, I heard the story. Yeah, I know. I know you did. So, small world, huh? Very cool. Jeff Wagner, absolute pleasure. Great guy. Mike says he's an awesome neighbor. So, that's tremendous. Uh, we'll get to John Thompson now. We've had to do this, uh, unfortunately, too often lately. I mean, let's go with this. Uh, what, Chadwick Boseman, the actor? He was 43 years old. 
I saw him in 42. I thought he was tremendous. He also, of course, the mega blockbuster uh, was Black Panther. I admit I've never seen Black Panther. That's because... I think as you as most people know me, the Marvel comic series has never been my deal. I don't care what the movie is. It just hasn't been I'm like, ah, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so that's why I didn't watch it because I haven't watched any of the Marvel movies. They made enough money off everybody else. They just haven't made any off of me. It's just not my not my my cup of tea. The But he's only forty three years old. He you know, and I guess I mean, did you see the movie Black Panther? I did not. I am very, very bad with movies. Oh, okay. Well, no, like I said, I, I haven't watched any of the Marvel movies. But it's a f- rather physical, athletic movie, from what I understand, right? A lot of stunts in it, right? And he, he, he obviously was undergoing cancer treatment at the time. He must have been some incredible work ethic. To get through something like that. Wow. But he was only 43. Now, we talked about Lute Olson the other day. Lute Olson was 85. And I told the story about Lute Olson coming on the show. I said, I said, I thought, here's an opportunity. It's 1989. We're there. And the, um, Thought I'd give it a shot. He says, sure. He says, hey, you want to come back to my office? It's much quieter there. We can do the interview there. He says, okay, how much time do I have? He says, ah, what do you need, 20 minutes? I go, yeah, 20 minutes is great. Well, John Thompson was never on this show, but I actually got to meet him several times because he was doing radio. Doing radio. And you'd see John Thompson on the sideline. He had that scowl in his face. Just like Gene Cady. Gene Cady always had that scowl in his face. And how many times have you heard me say, Gene Cady's one of the nicest guys on the face of the earth? John Thompson, now he's doing that. Now he's doing radio. Funny? Big, bellowing laugh, sense of humor? He's a riot. Um... John Thompson was someone who was a great high school player. Then he went to play for Joe Mullaney at Providence. The assistant coach, by the way, was some guy by the name of Dave Gavitt. (laughs) Okay. Thompson then goes to the Celtics, and they win. John Thompson has a couple of NBA championship rings. But because John Thompson was a very smart man, after two years, he figured out, as the backup center for the Celtics, that the odds were long he was displacing some guy by the name of Bill Russell. I mean, look, John Thompson was a heck of a college basketball player. He averaged 19 points a game for Providence in his career. But after a couple of years with the Celtics, they win titles. It's great. But he's backing up Bill Russell, and that, that of course, is a pathway to no, nowhere. It's like being a shortstop in the minor leagues for the Yankees for 20 years when Derek Jeter was at shortstop. 
Like, what are my odds? Um, not good. Well, that's about how John Thompson looked at Bill Russell. I don't think I'm going to beat that guy up. So he gets into coaching, and he's a highly successful high school coach. His primary rival was Morgan Wooten. And the Georgetown job opens up. Now, remember we talked about Lute Olson last week. That Lute Olson, when he left Iowa, took over an Arizona program that was 4-24. and No tradition, nothing going for it. He turns him into a national champion. Well, John Thompson, except he started sooner than Lute Olson. The Jack Ramsey was one of the finalists for the Georgetown job. Morgan Wooten was and John Thompson. They go with John Thompson. Georgetown was three and twenty-three. Three and twenty-three when he takes over. I don't remember the the name of the priest that was running Georgetown at the time. My apologies on that. Um, and they said, "Hey, look, hey, you know, try to get a winning record. See if we can get us to the NIT, NIT a couple times." <laughs> I started watching Georgetown games on the ECAC game of the week in the '70s with John Thompson as a coach. Uh, they, you know, I want to say Sleepy Floyd was playing back then. They had a good center, too, whose name escapes me. Good center. I really enjoyed watching Georgetown play. And then the Big East got going. And the Big East had Dave Gavitt at Providence, Raleigh Massimino at Pro- at uh, Villanova, Jim Beheim at, at uh, Syracuse. Um... John Thompson was at Georgetown. Uh, it was not Jim Calhoun at UConn. Jim Calhoun comes later. Uh, the, um, the Bill Raftery was at Seton Hall. Well, he gets into this, and Louis Carnesecca, of course, at St. John's. He turns Georgetown into an incredible power. He worked his way up, worked his way up, worked his way up with his team. Uh, and, and it's not like he didn't catch heck along the way, because he did. His leading score at one point early in his tenure, they all had to sign something saying they would not skip a class. And he found out this player skipped a class was his leading score. Wouldn't play him. He caught all sorts of heck for that, for doing it. Because he wouldn't tell every, everybody why he wasn't playing. He wouldn't say. It's none of their business. He wouldn't tell them. So people didn't know he was being held out because that was the reason. But John Thompson had standards. Kind of sounds like somebody else that we're all familiar with around here for decades. In terms of the standards. And believe me, the guy you have now, James Franklin, exact same kind of standards. 
Well, he then recruits. He wins the recruiting battle for Patrick Ewing, the most coveted player in the country. Patrick Ewing at home revered. Patrick Ewing on the road treated like garbage by some of the fans. The thing the, the things they they called him, mocked him. Cruel. Cruel. John Thompson protected him, just like he protected all of his players. First of all, the freshmen were not allowed to talk to the media. Of course, that got ridiculed. But he wasn't going to budge. John Thompson didn't budge. It was Hoya Paranoia. That's what they always talked about, Hoya Paranoia. John Thompson's press conferences lasted 15 minutes. They did not last 1501. When they went to the Final Four in New Orleans, they didn't stay in New Orleans. They stayed in Biloxi, Mississippi. If you recall in that game, everyone remembers, and we just watched Last Dance, Michael Jordan, freshman, hits the jump shot, beats Georgetown. Okay. But that's not the that was not the last play of the game. The last play of the game is Georgetown has the ball, and Fred Brown's bringing the ball up the floor, and then he turns to pass it, and he throws it right to James Worthy. Terrible mistake. Game's over. John Thompson goes out, puts his arm around Fred Brown, hugs him. The next year, Georgetown won the national championship. The first guy he hugged was Fred Brown. Georgetown's graduation rate phenomenal. Patrick Ewing got his degree. You know, Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, all the way through. Great, great program. He'd be on that sideline with that scowl. And Jim Calhoun always used to say, the second John Thompson threw that towel over his shoulder, he goes, oh, God. Dean Smith would stomp his foot, and that would get the official's attention. John Thompson would fire that towel, throw it right onto his shoulder. That got their attention. The opposing coach went, oh, here we go. We're not going to get a call for a half hour. It got to the point where Louis Carnesecca, who could always make John laugh, comes to the court, and he had his managers tie all the towels together in a long rope of towels, and Louis got it hanging over, and the managers are carrying the towel like it's some regal procession coming into Madison Square Garden. And, of course, then Louis started wearing that multicolored sweater for good luck, so John Thompson went out and bought a T-shirt with the same color pattern on it. It looked... John Thompson coached was the assistant coach in the Olympics with Dean Smith in 76. Then when he was the head coach in 88, he brought in Jim Beheim as his assistant coach, and that created the thaw between the two because they were bitter rivals for a long time. And John, and John, And this is really important. John Thompson fought for equality. We saw the NBA lead boycotts last week and so forth. But there was a period of time, Prop 48, Prop 42, where if you didn't have an SAT score, I think a 700 or better, I I recall that was the number. You couldn't play your freshman year. And here's the problem. There's some problems with that. I know we got to get to Matt Leon, but I want to get to this, the Prop 48, 42 part very quickly. 
in the next half hour because it's really important because of what John Thompson did and why. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. If you're wondering where the suit has been lately on the show, I guess he made this vow before the Indy 500 that he would not return to the actual studio itself until Marco Andretti finished the Indy 500. (laughs) Still waiting. All right. Still waiting. Somebody in the somebody in the building had to explain, and once again, it fell to me. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served this valley for decades. Look, customer service means everything to Purdy Insurance. means everything. And they want to make sure that you have the best policy so you're covered. They also make sure that you get it at the best price. I don't, they don't care whether it's auto, home, life, business. Maybe to save you money, they have bundles. And then they'll take care of those policies, and if there's ever a claim, they really go to work. Purdy Insurance, great people. I mean, I've had a chance to meet, I think I've had a chance to meet almost everybody in that office. They are fabulous people and even better insurance professionals. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Great time to buy. All right, uh, very quickly on John Thompson. I want to get to props 48-42. And I think the number, I did so many shows on this in the 80s, was 700. I believe. And if you didn't achieve that on your SAT score, and I can't remember what the... I always concentrate on the SAT, so I didn't know what the uh, ACT number was. If you didn't get it, guess what? You weren't allowed to play your freshman year in college. I will be honest with you, I never once in my lifetime talked to John Thompson about this. But the person I did talk to about and actually had him on this version of the show back in the 80s a few times and had some spirited conversation that put me in a position of learning more was with John Cheney. You know, Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. And as I always told everybody, that one of the Ironies always was John Cheney's first year at Temple was my first year doing Penn State basketball full time. So over the years, you see one another, and then after seeing one another, then well, that's a familiar face. Okay, then you talk a little bit, and then the familiar face you know a little bit better. And so when I asked John Cheney to come on the show, he said, "Yeah, sure, Steve, I'll do the show." And he he would talk about why he was fighting against props forty eight forty two. Well, of course, John Thompson felt the same way. And let's start with this. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what they did right away. Props 48 and 42. Um, immediately put a stigma on individuals that they weren't smart enough. 
that they weren't smart enough. And the and that's what it did. Now today you get the clearinghouse and so forth. Um, and they always said, "Hey, look, individuals are smart." Um, but maybe they don't test well or they didn't have a background that allowed them to test well. But these were called partial qualifiers. And John Thompson didn't like it. John Cheney didn't either. And that's, John was so good, Cheney was so good at explaining to me exactly everything that went with it. So it really gave me a depth of understanding of talking to him about it. John Thompson was so upset about it that when they played a game against Boston College, right before the game started, he left the bench and didn't coach the game. Okay. He then did it for a game of Providence as well, where the only thing left on the bench was his towel. Symbolically. And he fought hard. And this is from a coach who took players of all backgrounds and yeah, it is it, I was right. The number the number was seven hundred and fifteen on the ACT. And you had to have two O and uh Great point average. So the combined minimum score is 700 on the SAT. So I was correct about the number. I just want to look it up and make sure I had it right. Because obviously I haven't had to talk about it in 30 years. Matt's never had to talk about it. Yes, that would be right. Now the suit's always bragged about his SAT number. It's always been met with, you're bragging about that number? Okay. Uh, yeah, mine definitely really? weren't to brag about anyway, uh, so. But it, it, it what it did was, um, it, it, it put a stigma on, well, obviously he's not smart. And it's, it's quite the opposite. Most times out of ten. And John Thompson's point about the SAT is he felt it was a systemically racist test. And he protested it and eventually won or helped win. And John Cheney was the same way. But the number of players that were, that are great success stories that were Prop 48s, 42s, whatever, and went on to get their degrees, there's a long list. They finally got the right discipline. They finally got the right tutors. They got the right courses. They got the, you know. Made a big difference. All right. Let's uh, bring Matt Leon in now from Philadelphia. Hello, sir. Welcome. Great to have you back with us. Um, I think I did okay, but 
I've done fantasy football long enough to know you don't get too excited about the draft uh, as far as what you came out of it. And especially this year, this is going to be such an unprecedented year. You just kind of take it uh, day by day. But I think I got some good value. And your first pick was? Uh, I forget his name, but the rookie running back from the Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, whom uh, Jack Ham last year we were watching bowl games, and Jack kept looking at me and says, that Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is a, he's going to be a great NFL back because he can do so many things, not because of the running yeah. part. And <laughs> in that offense, yeah. if you're getting dropped in. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, how are the, the Eagles have a little problem at wide receiver right now with injuries, don't they? Yeah, Jalen Rager got hurt yesterday. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's serious, but still going to miss the beginning of the season. Um, so that I, you know, hopes were high that he was going to be key. Um, in addition, Alshon Jeffrey still working his way back from his injury. Uh, so. You've got the show on Jackson, but a lot of it looks like we're right back where you were last year, where you're leaning on guys like Greg Ward and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. <laughs> so, no, it's just basically back to where they were. Yeah, you know, and we shall see. Like I said, I don't want to admit the, the, the Rager thing, it seems like he's it's early, just going to miss a couple games. I think I saw it was a four-week injury, uh, and it does not require surgery. So short term, um, and I, I think the jury's still out where and when you'll get what you'll get out of Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah. So uh, now you still have Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard at tight end, although Goddard's been banged up. Uh, uh, Miles Sanders in the backfield. I think uh, they're going to be okay offensively, but it's just amazing how we are having basically the same conversation now that we were having in November. Right. Uh, then how's Miles Sanders? Because obviously when they get going here, he's going to be both in the pass game and the running game a critical component. So how is he? Because I know he's been hurt with, what, a lower body injury? Is that what they said? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but I, I don't think there's sounding the alarm. Uh, they. It's funny, for as much as uh, they're having a lot of injury problems for not doing a lot. And uh, like I think at one point, what was it I saw? At one point, maybe it was yesterday, that the, their top pick from the last five drafts all were on the sidelines. Because, <laughs> yeah, it had yeah. to be yesterday because Wentz, did, Wentz didn't yeah. practice, Goddard sat out, uh, Derek Barnett's hurt. That's a lot. Of, that's I'm, a lot of cash absorbing. Yeah, that really is nice work if you can get it. But uh, I don't think there's anything, with the exception of the injuries on the offensive line, that you're worried about long term. Um, all of a sudden, now the bringing back Jason Peters looks really, really smart with the injury to Andre Dillard. Uh, you can at least for one more year plug Dillard or plug excuse me Peters out of tackle um but uh, they have been hit exceptionally hard by by injuries here and it's amazing that this is without any preseason games this is all just yeah. practice and guys recovering from last year stuff like that so 
Okay, uh, the, why have the fly? To me, the key in the Islanders series is whomever gets the lead. Because if the Islanders get the lead, they're like the running football team uh, right. that, that plays with the lead. Why have the Flyers had so much trouble getting to the lead, which then would allow them to maybe dictate the the pace? Well, if you really look, they've struggled offensively in these playoffs. Like they won the Montreal series, but. Did they score more than two goals in any game? No, they, I mean, they have not been scoring, and their top line has that, not been scoring. Yeah, so this is not something I don't want to take anything away from the Islanders because they do a great job of slowing them down. But I think the, the Flyers have had offensive issues the entire postseason since it started in the bubble, and this has just been exacerbated. But we saw these problems in Montreal, but I think a lot of them were – uh, I don't want to say glossed over, but they won the series. They looked pretty good doing it, so uh, there wasn't as much focus as there probably should have been. But this has uh, this has been the situation the entire postseason. All right. Okay. Uh, th- th- you assume they? I know they were back to back. So is that one of the reasons they went with Elliot, not Hart? Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that. I didn't read the uh, the thing, but I'm guessing. It was because of that. Yeah, because I mean that's what the Islanders did. The Islanders changed up too because it was back to back. Yeah, I, I I get it. I and this is Elliot's been very good this year. I wouldn't be overly concerned about the the back to back. I no. I and I but I would have. You know, I think it's the playoffs. You can rest when it's over. So. But that being said, Brian Elliott was not was fine, and yeah. Brian Elliott's been very good this yeah, year. He wasn't the reason they lost. I mean, no. in fact, the toughest period he had was the first period, just from a little bit of rust, and he played well. So he got through yeah. it. Uh, so where to on the coach for the Sixers? I don't know. I mean, I kind of knew that was coming, and it's disappointing because Brett Brown's just such a genuinely good human being. Yeah, and he was really forced to take a lot of bullets here because of a lot of nonsense in the front office uh, when people wouldn't answer questions and Brett had to be there every day. But that being said, it became quite apparent, I think, that the messages just weren't getting through anymore. And sometimes, even if it's not anything the coach is doing wrong, you need to change. And I know there's a lot of talk about Brett's offensive sets and stuff like that, and there's criticism to be warranted. But I think mostly it just kind of appears like seven years is an eternity in the NBA. Yes, and, it is. <laughs> and it it just seems like the messages were falling on deaf ears. As far as where they go from here, one interesting name I've heard, and I'd be all for it, Dawn Staley. Wow, from South Carolina. Yeah, Philadelphia native. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've always thought she's going to be the first. Now, I know... You could argue Becky Hammond would be the first, but right. for my money, I think Dawn Staley would be the first woman. She would be perfect. No one's going to question whether she can coach guys. There'd be an automatic respect. Uh, she's from Philadelphia. It would be interesting. Now, that's just a lot of Twitter conjecture, but, but I, it I, makes some sense. That's the first time I've heard that, and guess what? I think it sounds to me like it's got a little merit to it. Yeah, that's not a – and I would love to see it. Dawn Staley is awesome. She's an awesome person. I knew her a little bit when she coached at Temple. Yeah. And just down to earth, obviously a basketball legend. 
what she's done at South Carolina is remarkable. Um, now you could, I've, and but she and she's got a great deal down there in South Carolina. Um, but just kind of put it in your back pocket, and I like it. It, it. it checks a lot of boxes. Boy, if you're the if you're Adam Silver, and they would ask your opinion privately, he'd have to say he'd love it. Oh gosh, yes. Like it, it makes a lot of sense, and it makes a lot of sense just from a basketball standpoint. Like, not from a first woman, any of that. Just purely, she can coach. She's got the resume. She's done it all in basketball. It would be interesting. And she has deep Philly roots. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter about recruiting, but it does matter in terms of the ability to have instant cred in the city. Yeah. And it would be fascinating and it I think it would work. Or I shouldn't say I, I I think there would be success there. I don't know what works means. Let, I'm let, not let, saying let me would. put it to you this way. Her odds of having the ability to make it work with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and others is certainly there. Her ability mm-hmm. to make it work with the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> it's the right. same as our ability to make it work with the Charlotte Hornets. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and <laughs> Just depends on the team you get. That team, she could make it work. Do you want to see a, you know, and I'm just throwing these names out for these types of Mike D'Antoni, those types of guys are kind of, I don't like the word retread because I think it's got negative connotations. The guys that have been around and plug air, or would you rather see something fresh and exciting? And right. I, I, I'm in the, I, I'm, I'm Team Dawn Staley. If yeah. that's a legitimate option, I think it would be a really, really good move on yeah. many, many levels. But most importantly, basketball. Yeah, there are merits. There are, well, the basketball part. She knows basketball. There's no getting around it. Uh, the merits are there for both. Uh, and the negatives are there for both. For example, let's give you an example. Hey, uh, Gabe Kapler comes in to manage the Phillies. Now, we know it was uneasy. Yeah, everybody seems to feel better than an older, steady hand that's been around the block and Joe Girardi's there. So there's merits on both sides. New, fresh versus, okay, now X has, done the, has been there, done that. Uh, so there's, you know, so there are merits to both. But I think it would, if that were to happen, it, you know, the word historic is misused too often. That would be historic. I think the the way I would, and we're on the same page, but I'll give you Don Staley's resume. I will eliminate the name and eliminate any reference to gender, mm-hmm. and tell you this is the person. I think should coach your basketball team. Who says no? <laughs> right. And based on what? Right. You know, so... She has been... Uh, it'll, not only that, on the college level. Now, college to pro. I mean, because like Billy Donovan will tell you there was a transition, you know, college to pro. I mean, there's no getting around it. But on a collegiate level, she's won everywhere she's gone. The program was exponentially better the day she left than the day she took over. And people forget, like, she didn't take over South Carolina. No. Like, it was a program that had been very good and had just maybe fallen off a little bit. Am I? Um, they were terrible. Like, they were a yes. non-factor, an absolute non-factor in that conference. Now, it's a elite conference, to be fair. 
But this is not like she got the keys to a car that was, you know, having a little bit of problems getting, you know, running at full stride, and she put it over the top. Oh. She took a program that was nowhere, granted, in a marquee conference, which in a way almost makes it harder because there's no easy nights, and turned them not just into a good team, a national championship contender. And plus yeah. that, what's on the floor, I believe they lead the country in attendance in women's basketball. I believe they do now, yeah. And that was not the case before Dawn got there. So mm-hmm. you're talking about somebody who checks the boxes on every level. And like I said, I think the, the biggest argument is the resume thing. You're not going to find a better resume, men's, women's, whatever. And success everywhere she's going. I don't think she knows how to fail. It would be fun. Would be fun. Uh, and it would be, now, in the misused word of historic, it would be historic. There's mm-hmm. no, no getting around it. And, wow. It'd be good to have a little Dobbins tech out there on the sideline, huh? Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from the job Becky Hammond's done as the assistant. No, 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 no. But I think specifically for Philadelphia, Dawn Staley would be perfect. Yeah, it's been a long time since I saw Dawn coach on the sideline, and like in person, it was a game against Kentucky, and it was part of a doubleheader at the Leah Chorus Center when she was at Temple. So, I mean, it was Mm -hmm. a long time ago, and I was like, wow, she really knows how to handle this game. I mean, it was – yeah. And Temple was the same thing, maybe not to the degree of South Carolina, but she turned Temple into a consistent NCAA tournament team. We just talked about the passing of Lute Olson. He took over Arizona 4-24. and We just moments ago talked about the passing of John Thompson. He took over John uh, Georgetown 3-23. and Certain people can take nothing and make it into something. She's proven that. Yeah. Okay. That was a – wow. That'd be fun if that happened. All right. Yeah. My friend, thanks so much. That was great. Appreciate it. My pleasure. You bet. John McClain, next half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Hi, this is Season from Purdy Insurance. As we continue in the green phase per the governor's order, most of our staff continues to work from home to practice social distancing for the safety of our staff and clients. During this time, we are operating under the guidance of the insurance department. Our office remains available to service our current and new clients by phone by calling 570-286-5855, email, and by appointment. Our after-hours emergency service is also ready to assist our clients with their needs. From the team at Purdy Insurance, stay safe, be well, be kind, and know that we remain dedicated dedicated to the highest levels of service to protect what matters most. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.